Welcome to Slaking Thirst, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. At the outset, I am sincerely apologizing that I will preach a little longer than normal. I know it. You can't stop me at this point. (laughs) But I'm sorry. But let me at least take a moment to explain why. I know priests who don't allow this reading to be read because they know how negatively it affects people. I've been in the sacristy before Mass with lectors before who are in tears begging me to get someone else so they don't have to read about wives being subordinate or submissive to their husbands. So I get all of that. But what you may not know and what they didn't know is that Pope St. John Paul II said this whole passage, St. Paul, Ephesians 5, is a summation of everything that could be said about God, human beings, and Christianity. So what this saint... Pope heard in this reading, and what we tend to hear are very different. So I need to take at least a little bit of time to hopefully equip you to hear it in a new way. So your homework this week is to read St. Paul's letter to Ephesians chapter 5. It's a few paragraphs, but hopefully by the end of the homily, homilies are recorded on podcasts, between the two, you'll be able to enter in to the good news. Okay, that said, let's jump on in. In the gospel today, St. Peter turns to Jesus and says, you have the words of eternal life. And we hear heaven. We hear, oh, everlasting life versus everlasting death. Pretty good deal. But what I want to let you know is that's only part of what St. Peter actually meant. What the phrase eternal life means for the Bible is actually total fulfillment of our every longing, hunger, and thirst, and that that fulfillment would last forever. So what St. Peter's really saying is, uh, Jesus, you have the words that are going to lead us to fulfillment of the cry of our hearts. To go anywhere else is to live frustrated and unfulfilled. We're staying, even if it's hard. So what are these desires? Right? I always wanted a boat at one point in my life, but Jesus didn't bring me a boat, even though he hung out with fishermen. I thought that was pretty reasonable. (laughs) So what are the desires that he's getting at? Well, don't you and I long, hunger, and thirst for a life where loved ones don't die? Even if they had a terrible battle with an illness and at the time we were glad there was some relief, wouldn't we love to have one more phone call, hold their hand again, have eat their special recipes? Wouldn't we love for the people in our life who had done us wrong to be repentant and there to be reconciliation and justice finally for us in the times when we were wronged? Wouldn't we love to know the truth about immigration in our country? 
I'm not getting political. I just mean like, like to know really who's coming over. How do we do it? What's the best way? Who do we trust? How do we know what's real? Where do we hang our hat to say, this is definitely the answer? Part of the exhaustion is we just don't know where to go and we're longing for the truth of the situation. See, these hungers, these thirsts, these longings are what Pope Benedict says makes us human. Without them, we're actually not human. We're some sort of robots. But there's one longing above all others that seizes and captures every one of us the most. And it's the longing for love. For love and union. These are the deepest longings, and all 8 billion human beings feel it. Just yesterday, I was driving back from Pittsburgh. I went to visit someone there on a pastoral visit. I'm driving back, and I said, you know what? I haven't listened to the actual radio in a long time. So I turned it on, and for almost an hour and a half, every song was about either falling in love or how love had disappointed them, and now they were angry. Right? Justin Bieber and Taylor Swift are making millions <laughs> off of these two themes. But they're making all that money because it resonates in our hearts, in our bellies. We feel it. It awakens something in us. And here's the amazing thing. Jesus came to give us the path, the way of being human that would lead to fulfillment of these longings. But do you know what people in the church do, like you, me, bishops, everyone? We put the longings over here, and we have our Jesus time over here. And so the one who is meant to speak and awaken and lead us to fulfillment, we don't allow him to get close enough and to touch that place. One of the reasons is, is because we're in a lot of pain. The relationship between man and woman and love and union is full of a lot of brokenness and pain. From Hugh Hefner to hookup apps to inappropriate internet activity being the number one listed reason for divorce for the last five or seven years, to being used to single-parent homes, to college campuses' walks of shame. There's so much confusion and pain and regret and brokenness in this right around the desire for love and union that it makes total sense that here years later we would have things like a Me Too movement where people have been hurt cry out. It would make sense that our culture has phrases like a toxic masculinity, but it's really just hurt people now pointing fingers and then other people point fingers because if we begin with our fallen world, if we begin with what's broken, we'll never find the way out. The Bible does not begin with sin. The Bible does not begin with what is broken. The Bible begins with God's original plan. And his original plan for you and for me was that we would be set in paradise. And all of the beauty of God's way of loving and living permeated Adam and Eve and they experienced their masculinity and femininity and the call to become one flesh as a participation and manifestation of God himself. They knew themselves to be a gift and they just wanted to love as God loves because grace and goodness was permeating everything. And remember, our God is a trinity. 
The invisible mystery of ecstasy known as God is a giving and receiving of love, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That giving and receiving in an invisible way, Pope John Paul II said, became visible in our creation as man and woman in the call to become one. In the original beautiful plan, without the pain and brokenness, our bodies and our longings revealed God's plan of life, love, joy, beauty. But we listened to a different voice. We doubted that the Father would fulfill us, and they began to sin. And that gave us the world we're in now. So what did God our Father do? Condemn us? Said, forget them, I'll start a new civilization on Mars? No, he sent Jesus. He sent the Word made flesh. God took on a body to reveal to us his plan for the body. And Jesus does three things. Redeem, reveal, and heal. The word redeem means to regain. So in Jesus' death and resurrection, he's regaining for us something. What? God's original plan. So we do not have to be enslaved to all the pain and brokenness. We can actually, through a life of opening ourselves and our longings to the grace of Jesus, we can grow and regain something of the beauty of God's original plan. But we're all so blind. We're so deaf. We're imprisoned by fear. This is the good news. Jesus gave sight to the blind. He helped the deaf hear and he set captives free. He is the powerful one. Remember, law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So he came to redeem and reveal. And what Jesus reveals is not just that our bodies revealed the Trinity, but through the second reading today with St. Paul, we discover that God's plan for all 8 billion human beings is that they would join in the one flesh union with Jesus Christ. The original plan of man and woman in the call to become one, not the broken, distorted version, the beautiful version, was a prophecy. It was a prophetic, poetic gesture that pointed to God's plan from the beginning, that he would take on flesh, and Jesus, the divine bridegroom, would join in one flesh union with his bride, the church. Gentlemen, we don't have to get weird. It's a poetic gesture, okay? And this one flesh union would heal and elevate our hearts and our longings. So we would live in this world with a vibrant hope for the world where all of our longings will be fulfilled. Our creation, or put it this way, our design helps heal our desire so we can get to our destiny. This is what St. Paul says. He says, for this reason, the two shall become one flesh, and it's a great mystery, but I mean in regards to Christ and the church. Our body and our longings as male and women, man and, male and female in the call to become one flesh, yes, it's broken, it's twisted, but Christ came to reclaim this, to redeem this, so we could reread our bodies in truth and understand where all of our fulfillment is at in union with him. Where does that happen? At Mass. 
Every Mass, the Word becomes flesh. This is my body given up to you. And Jesus' bride, the church, comes forward. And we receive and conceive a share in eternal life. A little bit now, but the pledge of future glory. That's the phrase the church gives for the Eucharist. It's the pledge by God to you of your and my future glory. Of total fulfillment by participating in the ecstasy of the Trinity. Our bodies tell the story. And there's no surprise that if our bodies and our one flesh union is the language and story for salvation, it's no surprise why it's so attacked by the enemy. If he can get us to disassociate and reject that, then we've lost the very gestures from God. With that in the background, let's begin to land this plane or we're going to run into the 1130 Mass, okay? Now let's go back to St. Paul and the whole subordinate thing. All right, because, all right, this sounds nice. We're participating in God. That sounds wonderful. Now talk about the subordinate, or better word, submissive. We're going to use that word. So St. Paul is a master preacher. And all he wants is everyone to join in deep union with Jesus in the Eucharist. So what he did is, in the town of Ephesus, St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians, in the town of Ephesus, modern-day Turkey, there was a slogan, like we have Nike, just do it. Their slogan was, wives be submissive to your husbands. But this was a phrase, and St. Paul said, okay, if that's already out there, I'm going to use it and then kind of baptize it so it can point to God's plan. So this is what he does. He uses their phrase. He begins with, though, husbands and wives be mutually submissive out of reverence for Christ. Meaning both of you be submissive. Sub meaning under, missive, missio meaning the mission. Both of you be under the mission of Christ. What is Christ's mission? To heal and redeem you so your life and body and marriage can reveal God's plan for life and love to all the nations. So be under that. That's where St. Paul begins. Then he goes to, okay, Wives, be submissive to your husbands. Then he adds, husbands, love your wives like Christ loves the church. How does Christ love the church? It's in every Catholic church. It's right there on the cross. He dies to any way of selfishness, sin, dominating. He dies to all of that, and what lives in its place is self-giving love. So what St. Paul is saying is, Husbands, love your wives like that. Wives, to the degree that your husband loves you like that, let him. Be submissive to that. Allow him to love you with the beauty of a blessing. But to the degree your husband is selfish and broken, you do not need to be under that mission. So St. Paul uses the phrase saying, okay, yeah, but here's the caveat. It really depends on what kind of gift the man is giving one of self-absorption or one of self-giving. And he goes on one step further. He also is the, giving us the recipe or the way of healing in our relationships. My brothers, as men, in our brokenness, sometimes we are dismissive, dominating, and rejecting of women. If that tends to happen in our hearts and minds and behaviors, he says, love like Christ, meaning Get down and wash some feet. Serve, bless, 
lower yourselves and honor your wives, the women in your lives. So it's medicinal. My sisters in Christ, at times, because of brokenness in the world and sin, at times women can be manipulative, they can play games, they can be cold and dismissive as well. In that regard, St. Paul says, be submissive. If your husband's willing to love you, receive. Allow his love to bless you. Don't keep him at arm's distance. Open up to the gift of love. And in these two ways, Christ can grant us what St. Paul says, the redemption of our bodies, which is to regain God's original plan so that by seeing in our desires for love and union, we can see that they're meant to be fulfilled in Christ in the Eucharist. And as he begins to heal and reorder our desires, we begin to recognize our healed desires can take us to the heart of God where one day we will share, as St. John writes, in the wedding feast of the Lamb for all of eternity. Every one of us is broken. Every one of us is wounded. We all are from the same culture. Different degrees, sure, but we all are suffering with questions and comments and things. That's why there's mercy. But the question is not, do we live it perfectly? The question is, do we know where north is so our compass leads us in the right way? North for us is the Word made flesh, present in the flesh at every Mass, to redeem our flesh so that we can join in the one flesh union with our God. Your homework this week, reread Ephesians chapter 5. It's like a few paragraphs. All right? With hopefully this in the background, you can be open to the gift that all of God's messages are good news. And we can say with St. Peter, Lord, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life.